0: Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's show, we are talking to Richard Wheaton. He's the managing director of 55. Before that, Hello, Jack.
1: Hello, David. Happy,
0: happy Monday? No, happy Tuesday. Well, it,
1: it, it, for all intents and purposes, it, is, it feels like a Monday, right? Especially after a long, nice, lovely bank holiday weekend. It's uh, it's It's got all the makings of a Monday morning today. Yeah.
0: Look, guys, I hope you forgive us for deciding... Rather than zooming it up whilst hungover, we'd wait until today to meet in person with yeah. clear heads yeah. Yeah. and hopefully give you a better
1: show. Clearer heads. I'm, Clearer? I'm still struggling a oh, What bit. did you do last night? No, no, nothing last night. It's just the older I get, the longer the hangovers <laughs> last. No, no one warned me of that, right? Oh, I suppose you're just getting to the age now, kind of late 20s, where that all begins to go wrong. At mid to late 20s, okay? 27. <laughs> Listeners, you can't see the face. Dave just pulled at me. he was a very screwed up face. Yes, yes. time. I promise
0: you, it doesn't get any better. No. Uh, Thirty-four year old me, Sunday night in the pub. I was like, right, I'll have an alcoholic beer now. I'll have a non-alcoholic beer now. I'll have an alcoholic beer now. Hey, yeah. <laughs> just like balancing, so I didn't wake up on Monday feeling crap.
1: I mean, good for you. I was, I was having my, my friend who's an ex barman was making. We were at a barbecue and he was making us gins. They were lethal though. They were almost yeah. like half and half measurements. Oh,
0: we had a great result. We were in a pub and it uh, randomly turned out to be their quiz night. Nice. No. did you win? No. no. No, we kind of, we could have won it. We went for broke on a wipeout round at the end where Why you get out? you get double points if you get everything right, but nothing if you get one wrong. Uh, so here's a question for you, Jack. Go on. What color is a black box on an aircraft?
1: That is, uh, okay i'll go for the uh what's it the noise they used to do on qi what was it they used to do if it's a really obvious answer oh yeah,
0: yeah the siren yeah i'm
1: gonna go with black
0: no so <laughs> it's orange right because it's the last color that you see on the spectrum through water so if it gets sunk down to depth okay it's, it's more most likely to be seen but we basically my wife hayley said orange my mate julian said yellow uh, Julian's
1: colourblind, so we should have like, actually oh, no. just, <laughs> we looked
0: <went> down <laughs> yellow. <laughs> Hayley was furious.
1: Was <laughs> that not, what, did you get the other questions right in that round as well? Uh, Yeah. Oh, um, Haley's Hayley, always right. I bet she, she took joy in telling you that.
0: <laughs> on the way home, she was, I had that, I had that. You didn't listen to me. It's was like, you should have backed me up. <laughs>
1: oh, no. Yeah, you're married now. You have to back her up no matter what. Uh, anyway, you know what? Um, black boxes collect. Uh, they collect an awful lot of data. Data. Yes. What are we talking about today? We're talking
0: about... <laughs> we're that. talking about data. We are. <laughs> that wasn't planned. That, no. That it, was...
1: We're too good at these tenuous links, though. <laughs> They're just links. They're just natural links.
0: Yeah, we're talking all about data. We're talking about Mark marketing technology. I won't say Martech.
1: Martech, let's, yeah. Let's not
0: get too jingo-heavy uh, here. <laughs>
1: Jingo heavy? Jargon. Jargon heavy. I like Jingo.
0: Jingo heavy. Jingo heavy. Uh, Jargon heavy. Yeah, we're talking about marketing uh, technology. We're talking about 55, who are a data consultancy working with firms. We're going to hand over to the interview with Richard, and then we'll be back afterwards with some comments. So today we're chatting to Richard. Richard, you're from 55, the data company, uh, and you're managing director, correct?
2: That's right, yeah.
0: Yeah, and been there since August 2016?
2: That's right, nearly three years, yeah. yeah. Who are 55. Uh, we're a data consultancy. Right. So we have about 240 people, um, offices in seven cities around the world, mm-hmm. Europe, Asia, US. Um, we help our clients set up their tech and their processes around it to manage their data. Mm-hmm. Um, we help them make the decisions around which tech to use uh, to best suit their needs and then help them implement it. And it's, it mentions here that, that Paris... Then London,
0: New York, and looking at some of your clients, kind of the likes of L'Oreal and, and Danon. Is it a French company originally? That it, looking it at?
2: is absolutely founded of, of Paris. Yeah, yeah, very, very, very uh, well established there as well. Yeah, yeah there's there's
0: a number of, of of big French brands there that you you clearly work with. Yeah. Um, what's the size? What kind of size footprint do you have in the UK? We're 25
2: here in the UK now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have a number of uh, great clients that we've won, you know, entirely here. So uh, Adidas, um, mm-hmm. Dixon's White House, We work with a number of big companies here.
0: And I would imagine, being a data consultancy, that people have been preoccupied with GDPR and going to you and asking, hey, what, what should
2: we do? Now that this regulation is in place, what steps do we take? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, I think it's a huge subject, right? So mm. we're definitely, you know, everyone's been thinking about it. Everyone listening to this will have been thinking about it massively for nearly three years now. Mm. And, um, you know, I think, I think everybody knows it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to give con- the consumer control, and I think, you know, a lot of what we do is all around really helping companies decide what is it that you need in order to market better and how you're going to use that data. So so if you're you know, I think the the common parlance is if you're doing good data marketing, digital marketing, you know, you're probably in a good place. Hmm. And if you've been doing bad, spammy stuff, then that's always gonna be a challenge. My on, pers- perhaps what the laws were were there intended
0: for. My perception. Was it in the lead up to the regulation coming in a year ago? Uh, There was this huge surge of activity. And we saw all these emails coming out. Some of them, frankly, were awful. Mm. Um, As as this kind of, oh, God, what what if we're not going to be able to email half of our customers, et cetera, et cetera. We need to get consent. And then it happened. And it kind of went quiet. And everything seemed to be OK. And then people seemed to kind of just brush it to one side, forget about it. It's OK. The world's carried on. Nothing seems to be going particularly badly. And it only seems to be in recent months that certain companies have spied that it's an opportunity to actually connect with customers and build that trust with them. Mm. Is that fair or, or is it a little bit of a simplistic view of what seems to have happened?
2: Um, I think that's that's a... Big question because I think it genuinely is different for each company. Right. Uh, I think you know it really depends on where you're coming from as well in terms of what your whole culture was. It, it
0: just seemed to suddenly drop off the radar once the regulation yeah. had passed, and everyone seems to go oh, okay. where where they were panicking panicking about it prior to the regulation. Yeah. It seemed to kind of be okay. This is okay. The new norm. We're, we're fine with it.
2: Yeah. So so the first thing you say is I think a lot of UK companies are still not compliant. And, right. And you know there's various surveys in the market between fifty and seventy percent of companies haven't even done an audit yet. Right. And that means they haven't, they didn't even do what you just described. So I think the ones that you were subscribed to, the emails that you might have opted into, the big news companies, big brands maybe have. But I think it's 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 quite a concern for us in the industry that, yeah. that there are a lot of companies that just really haven't even looked at this yet. Maybe decided it was for other companies, which is not true. It really is, whether you're B2B, you know, whatever your alignment is, uh, you absolutely need a policy around this. Um, but a lot haven't. And I right. think that's kind of the thing which I think will, will start to bite in the, in, in the months and years to come, because I think the UK has taken quite a, a sensible approach to it, quite a sort of softly, softly, but uh, that will increasingly become, you know, the reality for a lot of companies that are found to be non-compliant.
0: Yeah. I found it quite interesting, um, prior to hitting record, that you were talking about the fact that the UK taken maybe a slightly different approach to Mm. the Dutch or the French or the Germans. Because I've always kind of viewed this as EU legislation and have talked about Europe as opposed to the US. And there's obvious differences there. But I hadn't realised that there was quite as much nuance between the the individual European countries.
2: Yeah, I think it reflects the different approaches then, the different attitudes those countries have towards privacy, towards the tech giants, Mm. towards digital marketing generally. So absolutely, yeah. I mean, I was you know, doing research in, in in preparation for this, and seeing that, yeah, you know, there's been rulings by the Dutch government around uh, cookie walls. So the idea you can't just say if you don't comply with our or, or, or accept our cookie policy, you you can't you can't come to our website. That's not that's not fair. That's not free uh, choice by the by the reader. What you need to do is comply with the cookie. <laughs> Directives and mm. then let people decide whether they want to allow you to give access to their data in a certain ways. So it's quite a it's quite a nuanced and, and I think quite a liberal approach towards it. Um, again, just telling people get be compliant. You know, actually treat the consumer in the right way in the way we intended. Um, countries like France and Germany really being quite tough on the big tech tech players, so Google, Facebook. You know, was been uh, received. Um, you know, direct fines or notification that the lack of transparency is an issue. And that, I think, really does address, you know, perhaps the way they're coming to it. And the UK is very different. You know, we've really, you know, the, the ICO said a number of times our job here is not to impose fines. It is to get people to comply and to be writing, you know, the ICO head said at one point, you know, maybe a stiff letter will be enough to get people to kind of realize that they're out of line rather than going in the straight with a with a fine. The the big activity in the UK has been more around data breaches. So where a data breach has happened, and there's been some massive ones, then it's it's really, you know, gone and investigated those.
1: Mm.
0: And you mentioned, sorry, Mm. again, you mentioned that there was a case in Germany where um, spam emails Mm. were not to be considered as consent, and someone actually
2: challenged that. Yeah, in the early days after the law came in, I mean, there was one case where, a company had asked consent of someone and that was deemed to be spam to, to opt into their, or remain opt into their email uh, newsletter. And mm-hmm. the person said, you're spamming me, you shouldn't have sent me a request to, to consent. And the court upheld it. And they paid them 50 euros, which is if it's one customer, 50 euros is not enough. If that had been a million customers, mm-hmm. that would have been a million Euro, 50 million euros potentially. So, so that's a pretty draconian uh, um, interpretation. And of course, the interesting thing about your initial question is, of course, how these are interpreted in one jurisdiction then obviously has ramifications in others. So when that's decided, then then that can be interpreted in that way in other countries.
0: And that must be interesting from a MarTech point of view, because um, well, a lot of these companies are cross-border. You kind of don't think of, certainly the big tech companies, you don't think of them being in one country or another. They just provide this service so it's kind of available everywhere. Mm-hmm. And if I travel to Spain or Portugal for a conference or holiday, I just assume that I'm going to get the same level of access to, I don't know, a, an Instagram or or a, or a Twitter for that matter. Mm-hmm. So mm. how, how are companies responding to those challenges? Because I, I, I suppose... That that must have changed the way that they advertise to customers, especially when customers are very fluid.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and here's—I should say at the beginning—I'm not a lawyer. So, if there's any lawyers in this like, <laughs> no, that's not really what we're saying. So, my view, absolutely, we're much more in the Martech space, but I think the way it's which it's being interpreted is fascinating because I think the EU and certainly the ICO in the UK has always been open. This is going to be in a. There is not a set number of rules. It has not been written down mm. how you comply. It has been the law has really been created by lawyers. And now the MarTech and tech industries are trying to work out exactly how to be compliant. And to be fair, the ICO in the UK are being quite open about that. You know, our job is to work together to get to a point where we're all operating within, you know, the right the right framework. So in the MarTech industry, I think the world is really dividing between two sides, between those that say, let's find a better way to do device IDs and cookies. Device IDs being more of a sort of mobile type way of of doing the cookie mm-hmm. um, and others saying let's just get beyond the whole thing of device IDs and think about how we should target people in a responsible way which is perhaps more addressing their visible needs and not saying I need to know where you live and what you bought before in order for me to be able to sell you something Right. so, you know, uh, so the more some people dig into we just need to find a way to make the device IDs work you'll have people on the other side of the argument just saying you're just it's still the same thing. You're still not really respecting people's wishes not to be tracked. So you're kind of damned effectively both ways. So I think that's an interesting debate. Obviously, I uh, TP two dot, uh, 2.1, which is really Apple's new, you know, um, uh, policy on, on first and third party track cookies, is is you know leading mm-hmm. the way on how the industry is looking at Imposing its own way of managing this this issue better.
0: Out of interest, when you're dealing with your clients, have they had many subject access requests coming through? I, I was sitting, uh, listening to a talk I think by the DMA at Big Data World, and I can't remember the exact stat, but it was it seemed incredibly low from the number of actual requests that have been that have been submitted.
2: No, I, I not a lot actually. Yeah, and again, it it really just depends what the nature of your your clients are, but not massive. No, no, no.
0: And what steps are you advising cust- that your customers do take if they get those? I mean, last night, uh, as part of a focus group experiment, I, I su- submitted about <laughs> 50 subject access requests. I'm slightly nervous about what might come back. But I, how, how are you advising people to, accept, to, to kind of respond to those? Because they, they have 30 days, right? And it, it, it must be challenging for them.
2: Well, to, to respond to those, I mean, the whole way in which a consultancy like ours advises a client is around having a whole set of policies around compliance and, and governance. So you um, know sorry sorry to jump yeah, in. There's, yeah, yeah. there's there's no set format in which they have to present that data, is there? They just have to It's more about speed. So right, again, Okay. Ms. Denham at the ICO has been very clear that they are very acutely aware of how speedily people respond, both to a breach, both to a request and and to any complaint and ha- but mm-hmm. uh, saying that that's happened and then how they actually formally respond because her view is that shows how well you're set up that shows right. if you've got processes and compliance in place then you must then you can respond quickly and if you haven't got those in place then that will explain why it's taking you a long time to actually answer these as you say open quite formulaic questions you know how did it happen. At what point, uh, how, how documented is your process? And her view is, if you've gone through that documentation process, then you're kind of, you're showing us that you have at least tried and you are at least right. trying to improve your process. And if you haven't got those, then we're going to come after you. It, it's, it's showing you. How, and she's been very open about that. But again, I think that's a very British kind of approach to it. Very simplistically, it kind of sounds like a, a maths
0: GCSE, where they're, they're rewarding you for showing you're working, whether or not you get the right answer.
2: Well, I think, again, I think it's, it's it embraces the fact that we have, the law has not been, as a word, laid down. Yeah. You know, the, the, what you can do wrong has been laid down, not how to comply. is been really clarified, yeah. So, so when you say at what how do we advise? Then, you you know, we take an approach which says that there are various things that you're trying to do as a big company, both in terms of collecting data and using it, and you just need a process around each 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 one of those. You need mm-hmm. to you know nominate people in your company, not just to be just the data protection officer, but also to literally own the use case. So this, for example, is how we're going to do display advertising or how we're going to do email. Um, and then have a separate, what we call data source owner. So that is somebody, probably an IT or some kind of tech department, who's going to supply you with that. And be clear with you, if you want to do that, then here are the, here's what I can supply with you. And here are the data issues and GDPR issues around that. And that's a conversation so that it's agreed between those two people. Okay, this is how we can use customer data. Or maybe we don't even collect it yet. Maybe we don't have permission to do it, in which yeah. case you can't do it. So that's a conversation. And then you have what what we call the sort of implementation owner, which could be an agency, it could be someone internally, who then uses that in a routine way to deliver that use case. And above all of that, you have a a committee that agrees this is okay. I've read the documentation. And it complies. So it's 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 a lot of process.
0: It's just it's it's an interesting thought because obviously we talk to a lot of startups and scale ups on yeah. this show. One of the questions I often ask them is, hey, when do you when do you bring in a head of talent? Because we often think, mm. right, wh- when do you start plugging in those key roles below the founders? And you know, is it is it after thirty hires? Is it after fifty hires? Mm. And I suppose there's there's a point there. You kind of the the organisations that you're typically working with are very large, and it stands to reason they have to have a DPO. Mm-hmm. When does it? When does a startup need to think about that? Should it be after five hires, ten hires, twenty hires? Does it depend on the
2: organization? From the first hire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're processing data is systematically part of your business, then you absolutely need to be adopting. Yeah. Which most of them are. Yes. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, it's one thing to be talking about the Googles with their armies of lawyers, but um, if this is your ambition, then it's core to your business. Mm. And I would argue, actually, the founder, the, the the tech leaders who are probably the people making the decisions. This should be integral to their role. You know, mm-hmm. if you're going to involve enjoy all of the benefits of the network effect of having, you know, data and the uses of that, then you've absolutely got to engage in what how you're actually attaining it and how you're using it. So yeah, if there's two of you, one of you at least needs to be absolutely on this, um, and it's tricky because because again, we would say as a consultancy, having an extra pair of eyes and you know a law firm as well as a company like ours is is the, uh, probably the only way you'll really be able to see through. Mm-hmm. The business as usual to really what what is you know what you're doing right and wrong quite hard to see that within your own um, bubble. So we're we're about a year
0: on, and taking the political uh, aspects of Brexit out of the out of the conversation, um, we're going to leave the EU in eleven days, it would seem, and then I suppose well, this is EU legislation, so. What happens then? Because I, I, I guess generally people have agreed that this is good legislation. So how do we then adopt it and make sure... That this well, is- the legislation
2: remains here. Right. Uh, it's been sort of taken into the, the, the... Again, I'm not a lawyer, so I need to be careful here. But, you know, basically the EU citizens remain protected by GDPR. But right. But we don't, and we no longer sit in within the GDPR environment. Uh, so Europeans are protected. That's good news for them. Cool. Uh, it, this will all be detected dictated by the treaty that we then signed the deal that we then signed with Europe because if you're passing your data between UK and Europe which will, you know really be most companies <laughs> yeah. uh, then you we will need to have that legislated for right and until there's a deal in place there is no sort of common uh, agreement for that so it, there basically needs to be a, uh, a sort of data adequacy um, provision put in place which is basically saying the UK basically complies with GDPR, therefore we're fine. Mm. Would be the perfect answer. Uh, the worst one would be the EU just saying, you know, because you are outside, we don't we no longer recognise, and and that's that's kind of doomsday scenario mm. where there would then be no recognition between the two. So that's one of the challenges of the No Deal is, is we just don't have an agreement in place for that yet. Right. So. Yeah, I'll try to be as neutral as I can. Be interesting the answer to see what is, happened. until there's a deal, there's, yeah. no, there's no allowance for it like that with a lot of these things.
0: Last quick question then. Any any technology changes within ad tech that you think are quite interesting? Any innovations that have come out of this process that that maybe surprise you?
2: Well, I think I have been surprised by the number of companies that have basically folded up shop. Right. That's, that's quite a... I don't think we were all expecting that. And I think what was very interesting to me how late, Google really addressed this in the market, you know, really, you know, announcing something right into sort of March last year, which really told all of us that we, you know, people really hadn't thought through the full ramifications of this. Mm. Um, so I think that's it. But I think I think you know it's all playing out now in uh, ITP 2.1 right? Where we are now, um, the uh, intelligent tracking protocol, and I think that's what's going to be playing out in the months to come. So so. Apple have put this in place. Um, it is pretty draconian. It's saying no third-party cookies. It's saying first-party cookies will expire in seven days. When you think about that. That means really for Safari users today, um, retargeting programmatic is you really can't. You know you're, they're basically you know hindered from managing their reach of those campaigns, uh, from tracking for any attribution analysis, any post impression. Activity on Safari will be lost um, in terms of measurement, post-click, even post-click path conversions after seven days will be lost. So this is quite a lot of fundamental tools by which a lot of people in MarTech do their jobs um, right now. And there's plenty of other you know limitations that will, will, will be imposed by that. And at the moment, actually, it's funny because on my way to here, I just checked. And so at the moment, of all platforms, Safari is 30% of British-UK browsing. But actually, that's around 10% of desktop. I was going to say, I'm f- sure it's mobile driven. No, 50% yeah, of yeah. mobile. So it's going to particularly affect mobile uh, measurement and tracking. Mm. Um, and probably higher in luxury cosmetic and you know, banking type type industries. Um, but really, Google and Mozilla will have to follow this as well. I mean, now that they're setting this benchmark, it'd be... Hard and justifies to why they're not also complying with that that standard, and again that will massively limit the tools. Which is why again I talked earlier about: do people just try and find ways around it, and mm-hmm. just find other ways of, of getting IDs, or do they actually say, you know what, we're just going to market in a different way? Which is what Apple are really saying uh, to people. So effectively, as a non-media company, it's easy for them to take the high ground, but they're really saying, why don't you market to people based on how good your product is and how well you know how well the uh, the media. The publisher basically presents its inventory rather than this, you know, unsolicited tagging that we that, that people have been benefiting from.
0: Well, look, Richard, I really appreciate you spending some time coming across here on. What is a cold and grey day, but thank you for for some time with
2: us. Absolutely.
0: Cheers. Right, Jack. One thing before we dive into it so towards the back end of the interview, uh, Richard talks about Apple uh, moving to ITP two point two, which loads the window for cookie deletion talks about seven days, it's lowering it from seven days to one day. So I wow. got in touch after the interview just to clarify that point. Incredible. Right, seven days to one day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. sorry. No, 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 that's, I mean, I just found it incredibly interesting that this it was the day after we sat down with uh, Yoda, yeah. right? So data was Ever so fresh in your mind at the time, and
0: we need to have a catch up with Ben as well yeah. because they take it because obviously Yoda approach it from the consumer from the yeah. individual point of view, whereas this is an organisation fifty five I mean, working with business.
1: You talk about like h- h- how do you advise around subject access requests? Well, here we had Yoda write us our subject access requests, and then we sent it out to lo- loads of companies, and mm. I've been emailing Ben over the last well, it's been six to seven weeks now, and. A lot of them got back. Google didn't get back within 30 days, which is interesting. You know, you talk about companies being set up for processes and stuff like that. Some of them, I think right move we both said were back incredibly fast, um, but some people just still aren't taking it seriously. And then I got my, the most of my emails back day 29, 30 as well. Yeah. Which I mean, isn't operating under speed as, as he says is important.
0: I'm building on that point. You know, he talks about the fact that 50 to 60% of organisations haven't even done a data audit. And whilst I kind of led with that, oh, they you know, it seems to be that organisations are on top of it. And he said, yeah, but the organisations that you're dealing with are probably very marketing heavy. Yeah. Um, and they're the visible ones yeah. that you would expect yeah. to have done something about this. But actually, there's a huge amount of organisations out there who have done very little, if, mean,
1: do, if anything. Do you think it's more of their they're too afraid to start this now because of their marketing campaigns and you know beg for forgiveness rather than ask for acceptance or whatever you know are they are they, are they waiting as long as possible to get all their ducks in a row I don't, or, I don't or, think so because it's, it's yeah, you can it? just
0: get on with this quietly oh, in the background and it's not like there's a spotlight on you right. as an organisation going you haven't done this there's nothing to stop a firm going shit guys we need to get we need to get on top of this and no one will ever know
1: and then you get it done yeah um yeah, no one's holding a gun to their head, so to speak. I just think from a, from a trust point of view, and data always comes back to trust, well, as we talk about a lot, and I think if you want to have the trust of your customers, especially if you're B2C, then be proactive. Proactivity does kind of equal trust. You know, at least yep. if you're seen to yeah. be doing something, you know, it might fill us with a bit more trust and a bit more hope. And you know, on
0: that point uh, around trust and, and hope, interesting that richard talks about the two schools of thought around this Mm. one that's kind of a workaround that's a look at device ids and cookies yeah and the other how do we target in a responsible way really interesting that apple have been able to take the high ground i like because they're not a media company so it's very easy for them to say get get yourself sorted out guys if you're using
1: safari is this not big tech regulating itself for good for good don't get me wrong ITP 2.2 whatever sounds like it's an amazingly good initiative for the consumer for for us but it is it not an example of big tech leading the way in self-regulation? You know? and, and
0: as he says, pressure on Google now and Safari is a consequence.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm well surprised. When he said 30% of uh, users use Safari or whatever, and then you're like, that's got to be all mobile users, right? Because yeah. no one uses Safari on their computers, right? Well, no, that's
0: not entirely true. If you have a Mac,
1: well, actually, no, well, I have I a still, Mac, and yeah. I use Chrome. Rosie uses Chrome <laughs> as well, So, and I'm sure Ryder does on his Mac. Yeah. So I, but that's, funny, that's yeah. that,
0: that behavior, I have to say, that is because I use Chrome at work. <laughs> So I, know, your I switch between to the t- exactly,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, and yeah. I and I, I don't know. I I understand deleting the cookies is a good thing because we don't necessarily want all that data knocking about, and and we don't want to be tracked randomly, but. I would get very frustrated if I had to sign into a browser and log oh. into everything time and
1: time and time again. I mean, what this is, is essentially this is a footprint in the snow that can get snowed over now rather than a footprint in cement that stays there forever. You know, this ITP 2.2, what fucking analogy that is, by the way, mm. um, is, is, is allowing us to, to, to move away from our data footprint faster, I guess, which I guess is a good thing. Yeah. If we, if we so want it to be, yeah.
0: That was a very um, yeah. poetic uh, analogy. Yeah, that's a good well, one. Footprint in the
1: snow rather than footprint in the snow. Did yeah. you just come up with that? I did as well. Get on that. Yeah. Listeners, I did study poetry at university. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, yeah, and the, the other point that I thought was, was fascinating, and yes, I I freely admit, I, I think, here to being totally ignorant. Mm. I do just think of something like GDPR being EU, EU regulation and therefore kind of just applies. I didn't think to the point that, of course, every single individual country will interpret that piece of legislation slightly differently.
1: Yeah, 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 of course. I mean, Germany and France seem to be a bit more gung-ho with it, a bit more protective of their citizens, but...
0: But I think the really interesting point is how one country interprets Mm -hmm. that law then affects how another. If you know that someone in Germany has gone and a court has upheld their claim that asking for consent is spam... Well, someone in another EU member state can go,
1: oh, hang about. I, I, do, I do have some issue with that because how, you've got to give these guys a chance, right? If you're saying that the, the, that email is regarded as spam, then you're not giving them a chance to operate honestly.
0: Yeah, I, did, I, I suppose it would depend on the context, but I, I did feel that that seemed a little.
1: Yeah, you know. And is that just Germans being Germans? <laughs>
0: Very. I what you will, I will say no more after the weekend of European results uh, there were there were better kind of liberal and green results than expected oh, that yeah, was an course, interesting yeah. uh,
1: I mean I mean look I, I saw something this morning that said Jeremy Corbyn <laughs> needs to resign I still don't think that's the case but JC take a stand now man you he, he got handed to him in Islington mm. but yes I think he uh, did yeah. but I think that, that does show some of the problems with the EU now we're both Remainers we are heavy but you know, there isn't consistency from country to country, and that just shows I, I the I don't problems. think that's a bad thing.
0: I kind of view that's it like a great thing, It's, but it's, it's, it's if like if you're the crowd, EU,
1: yeah, but it's like it's you like, want the United States of Europe, then this is a bad thing. Well, we don't know for sure that, that they UK do. Does. But
0: um, I think it's like crowdsourcing policy.
1: Yeah, all right. <laughs> it's like
0: no. each country goes away, interprets it slightly differently, yeah, and then yeah. as a whole, you kind of go, "Oh, they've done it." A, you know, let's get okay. to to, to a, a better workable way. Interesting that he talks about the UK going with that kind of softly, yeah. softly approach. We're not gonna, we're not gonna just fine people, but we're gonna give you a bit of time, and we're gonna encourage you. So
1: British, you so British.
0: Versus Germany and France going after big email tech.
1: spam. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I,
0: I think it's. I think it's a really. Um, progressive way forward of thinking about legislation.
1: No, 100%. I just think it makes it harder to govern, And I I agree that everyone needs to have their own methodologies and processes but uh, it's a loss for the EU, I think. Fair enough.
0: Right. On that note, I think we'll go to our, our advert break rather and then we'll come back with a couple of bits of news. Tech Talks are partnering with Alive and Kicking, a charity that set up businesses that manufacture beautiful sports balls across sub-Saharan Africa. Using profits from ball sales and additional fundraising from events like the Hackney Half Marathon, they're able to train sports coaches to deliver vital health education. We're about to hear from Naomi, a coach in Zambia, who's been trained to deliver mental health education to her community.
2: Hello there, this is Coach Naomi from Zambia. I would love to say with Alive and Kicking training, which has helped me to teach my players about like mental health. It has really built my knowledge, and they p- have passed through to my young players in, in the community. I also work with Special Olympics, where we deal with children with a disability mentally and physically. I hope and trust that the Alive and Kicking will continue teaching coaches in various parts of the world, not just in Zambia. Thank you very much, Alive and Kicking.
0: Welcome back to the show. Um, It is your Monday, Tuesday show. It's the show with a little bit
1: of an identity crisis. (laughs) Who wants to go first, Jack? Mm, I will. Go on. So from TechCrunch, Greg Kamparak has written, uh, it's a bit of a fluffy piece this week. I didn't want to get too humdrum because that's a quite heavy interview in a good way. You know, we're broadening our minds. But an original Apple one in a briefcase just sold for nearly $500,000. Now you can listen, you can't quite see the photo, but if you go on TechCrunch, you can see it is the original Apple One Where in was, a briefcase. When was the Apple
0: One released, does it say?
1: So, an original Apple One from 1976, as hand-built by Stephen Wozniak, just sold for £371,000, or roughly £471,000, in a Christie's auction. It comes set inside a leather briefcase complete with a built-in keyboard. Um, it's an estimated that around 200 Apple One computers were made, the majority of which are believed to have been destroyed. The enthusiast run Apple One registry, known as 68 or so, still in existence. Oh, sorry, the enthusiast run Apple One registry knows of 68 or so still in existence, of which the one being auctioned is listed as number 10. So, guys, upstairs at home, if you if if you bought one of these suitcases i mean it's so funny because this is really reminiscent i was uh, i was back at rosie's in Bures this weekend which is a lovely little village and there was a a book sale and a bake sale going on at the local church over the road we go to the church now dave i found a full 2002 premier league sticker book panini sticker book every single sticker completed right everything in it and i I said to rosie it's 20p i'm buying it she went you Buy that jack, it's just gonna clutter it. Looks back at eBay. I've got home. £50, some of them go for. Wow. And I just thought this is this reminded me of, you know, if you've got an old Apple I Wozniak designed <laughs> Apple briefcase laptop in your in your loft, don't give it to the church, guys. I, I, don't I, I sell I wonder, it.
0: I wonder if on Antiques Roadshow or even Bargain Hunt, wow. if you were with Tim winnicott Smith, Tim Winnicott. Is it just Winnicott? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. if you were with him, would he A recognise? The Apple, one, Well, would he just go, oh, it's probably an Amstrad, whatever. Oh. Uh, or would he recognise the Panini sticker book?
1: Well, now, there's so many recognisable faces in the Panini sticker book. Is this, does this, it has. what I don't know, is this, is, this, is this inscribed by Wozniak? Is there a little was written in the corner?
0: I think if there was, it'd be worth even more. Exactly, was, 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 was. was, was, was.
1: Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's 67 more of these out there, guys. Get them, sell them. Give the money to charity. There's probably
0: one sitting in a loft somewhere.
1: Absolutely. I
0: wonder if it still works.
1: See, that's that's another good question. I don't know that this article doesn't detail. Of do it. It? Yeah, if you can get it home, load it up, and start playing on it. Or probably whatever. can't get on Safari, um, um, which is a good thing.
0: Yeah. So uh, my article today, taken from the Guardian. This is from the Australian Associated Press. I think this is quite interesting. Good. Also about Apple, actually. Oh. Also a bit about data. Um, Adelaide teenager gets good behaviour bond for hacking Apple systems twice. <laughs> right, I love this. I love this. The court hears that the boy who hacked the tech giant systems when he was 13 and 15 was trying to secure a job with the company. Oh, yes. I'm, the, the, the article is very short, so I'll read the whole thing yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adelaide teenager who twice hacked Apple's computer systems had been placed on a good behaviour bond 17 year old boy who can't be named hacked the tech giant systems first when he was 13 and then again when he was 15 he came to the notice of the authorities after the second incident when Apple contacted the FBI which in turn contacted the Australian Federal Police However, prosecutors told the youth court on Monday the company suffered suffered no loss or damage as a result of the hacks. The court also heard that the boy had been motivated by his desire to secure a job with Apple. He pleaded guilty to several counts of unauthorized modification of data and was placed on a nine-month good behavior bond. No conviction was recorded. He didn't do anything harmful to Apple. He was trying to get their attention. He did. I bloody love it. I think this kind of
1: intuition and thinking outside of the box needs to be rewarded. Now, I'm not expecting Apple to keel over backwards and go, yeah, come be our CTO, mate. You're clearly talented. They should put him on some kind of program or something. If Apple aren't Microsoft should, you know, like, come on, pick him up. The
0: boy shows, look, I'm not sure that we should advocate, yeah, go out and hack an organization to get a job. But from a a pure... um, Talent. Yeah, Yeah. uh, ingenuity and resourcefulness... yeah. I mean, Are those portraying traits uh, that a company would cherish and could be honed in a positive way? Like when we had divink on the show, and we we had Jay a little while ago, yep. and he went off and he basically set up a racket yep. selling stolen computer equipment for yep. school. Yep. Not something you'd encourage, but showed some wonderful traits that his teachers picked up upon and moulded it in a better way. And now he's a really successful entrepreneur, giving other kids an opportunity. I think there's an element of there's a synergy here between yeah. that and this.
1: I mean, Jay, Jay cites his business studies teacher, or who, he wasn't even his business studies teacher, it was, was he? Or geography it, was, or something. Well, it was a teacher at yeah. school who said, "Look, come on, let's let's harness this." And I think this kid needs to find a mentor like that. Now, there would already be someone looking, looking out a, for it.
0: He's a 17-year-old kid. Yeah. He hacked Apple when he was 13 and 15. You're not going to make the best decisions no. No. in your mid-teens.
1: No, God. I mean, I I tried to hack into a friend's Bebo account at 13, let alone the whole platform. You hacked into Bebo? No, 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 no. I tried to hack into my friend's account to How pretend hard to did be them. Um, I didn't. I, I didn't know their secret answer or password, so that's how thick I was as the thirteen. <laughs> it's not really hacking.
0: That's just no. It's not hacking at all. Guessing.
1: Yeah, it's just trying to log in to share the love of myself. Do you remember doing that on Bebo? Sharing the love.
0: I didn't really ever use Bebo.
1: Uh, I suppose you're. I was that in between generation because uh, Bebo kind of kicked off for us. But
0: MySpace followed by Facebook.
1: Yeah, yeah. Bebo, MySpace. Yeah. Um, my, did you ever create your own skin on MySpace? Did you no, make? Oh, I did. I was no. that sad. <laughs> Would you have
0: your own skin on Fortnite if you had Fortnite? Uh,
1: no, because they're the only part of the game that you have to pay for. Everything else on the game is free. The skins are what you pay for, yeah. Oh so okay. no, I wasn't. I wasn't. I, I spend all my money on FIFA Ultimate Team like a right loser, like a proper teenager should.
0: <laughs> to be fair, my, my, my um kind of My skin these days is converse rather than but you know that's that's where I your I'll brand. My, yeah. yeah, I like, tried on some Vans at the weekend because my old Converse were a bit torn and knackered. I'm not I'm not cool enough for Vans. Mate, I'm, I'm too old. I'm, I'm Levi's and
1: Adidas. Anything outside of that brand wise, I just struggle to trust yeah. anymore. I know my comfort levels and my fit. I'm yeah, quite you've a, small got a brand, Jack. Yeah, exactly. And that's Levi's and Adidas. So anyone listening from Levi's or Adidas or Converse for Dave. Get in touch.
0: Yeah, there you go. Right, on that note, um, I think we'll go and leave our lovely listeners to their Monday, Tuesday day. Yes. And we'll be back with you on Thursday, which will be Thursday, not Friday.